to Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. For everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we have all come from different uh, conditions, different places this morning. Some of us have had uh, joyful uh, and restful times. Some of us have had crazy busy. Uh, Lord, wherever our hearts are, please bring us to a point of peace now. Please soften them, open our minds, give us ears willing to listen, and may we be guided by your word for your glory. Amen. I'll just fix that up. There we go. Okay, well, when I was growing up, um, I grew up in a place called Springwood in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. And I remember as a child that uh, I would always walk up and down my street and it would be full of people on their front verandas, on their verges. Uh, it, It was an incredibly friendly street. Everyone knew one another, and, and this meant it was pretty common to see neighbours sitting there and enjoying barbecues, uh, chatting, kids playing. It, it was just a wonderful street. And because this was always, because there was always this friendly human presence, uh, there would be wonderful opportunities to build great conversations and have good relationships. I mean, community was easy. And I think like that experience, 
of easy community and conversations. Uh, we might all agree that 30 years ago, even 40 years ago, uh, Christianity was a bit like that. You could have easy conversations about Jesus. People saw church as kind of a staple part of your week. Uh, you knew that you would go to church on Sunday, and there wasn't as much awkwardness, there was still a little bit of awkwardness, but there wasn't as much awkwardness about it when you spoke about Jesus to these people. You could assume, I guess, in conversations, that people had some basic understanding of what Christianity was, right? They knew that Jesus died on the cross, they knew that God would come to judge the living and the dead at the end of your life, Christmas was really about Jesus. Easter was really about the Easter bunny. Oh, no, Easter was really about Jesus dying on the cross. That, don't know what's going on there. Uh, school had scripture lessons. Uh, God orbited about around much of society, right? Most things were closed on a Sunday. But today here in WA, we live amongst a people who don't know the basics of Christianity. Over the generations, I think particularly since the late 90s, maybe even earlier, I think you could go back as far as the sexual revolution, and say that there's been a slow cultural genocide with the fundamentals of Christian understanding. And this means it's actually much harder to reach into people's lives and have good conversations. We, we can't easily walk onto someone's front lawn, you know, pull out the fishing chair we bought from BCF, sit down, have a stubby or a softy, and have a chat. We have to be invited into their place first. And in order to do that, you've got to win their respect. You've got to be persuasive. You've got to show Christianity's attractiveness. And that really starts by living out Christian practices together as a community, as children of the light. Now, that sounds obvious, <laughs> I know. But, but, but is it? And this is why our passage here today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Because uh, if you know anything about Ephesians, it would be what you'd call a circular letter. It's a letter that didn't just go to the people in Ephesus. Uh, if you've got a Bible in front of you and you look at chapter 1, verse 1, you'll say to the God's holy people in Ephesus, and then there's a little footnote that goes down and it says, some early manuscripts do not have it in Ephesus. So it actually went to multiple churches in what would be now known as Western Turkey. And, and what it was there for, this was kind of Paul's piece de resistance in uh, his theology. He, he, he had built and understood exactly what, how God uh, had called us to live as Christians through the gospel, and Ephesians is that. It's a wonderful picture of uh, doctrine and theology and what it means to live in the gospel versus what is error. And really then, how to live it out. So it's an encouragement, because Paul is reminding them then, and us now, about what it means to live as a distinct and attractive new humanity for Christ. One, that verse 8 says, is no longer defined by darkness, but now by light. Or verse 4, one that is no longer foolish, but wise. Or verse 9, one that is full of good fruit, of goodness. He is saying not only here in Ephesians 5, but really the whole letter, that this is what a community of righteousness and truth looks like. 
And, and Paul is showing us here that it is in very stark contrast to the way that people used to live, a former way of life. Verse 3, the ways of immorality, impurity and greed. There's a putting off of the old self and there's a putting on of the new self. And what Paul's really hitting home to all the readers in this letter is the gospel is not just about these little gradual improvements. It's not, it's not the self-help book. It's not just slow and cosmetic change, but it's about a transformation of identity. And it's not just rules, but a life that naturally produces abundantly good fruit in our, in our relationships and, and in the ways that we live in the world. And in particular, what we'll see in these verses is that it is this distinct living that will bring about good conversations in a post-Christian world. In, in fact, if you're hearing this for the first time, or, or you're a new Christian, and, and, the heart, and you're still kind of grappling what it means to be a Christian at the heart of it, well, let me make it clear that the gospel is not just about a bunch of religious tasks to live out right? It's a different state of life. It's filled, it's life filled in the Spirit. So, what we're going to look at this morning is uh, we're going to understand what it means to have a Spirit-filled life, both individually but in the context of a community. And then we're going to consider what it means, uh, how we play, how we live that out. And so, my two points are our presence and behaviours of life in the Spirit, and secondly, the song we should sing of the Spirit, which we see at the end of the chapter. And I'm going to break the first point down, for those that are taking notes, into both presence and behaviour. Okay, so firstly, there's the presence of the Spirit. Verse 18, so we're going to jump around a little bit in this chapter, so if you've got a Bible in front of you, it would be helpful. Uh, And what we see is Paul is describing the presence of the Spirit. And of all the things, what does Paul compare being a life in the Spirit by? He compares it to drunkenness. (laughs) Of all the things. Didn't expect that on a Sunday, did you? Uh, He says, do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And and I think many of us kind of gloss over this passage. We look at it and go, oh, yeah, okay, great. Um, Yep, I'm full of the Spirit. Uh, but, but why is he making this comparison? And here's why he makes it. Do we remember Acts chapter 2 at all? If anyone's been there, read that. There's a thing called Pentecost, right? And at this particular event, the Holy Spirit comes over a people of God. And, and with the Spirit, they begin to speak with one another in the wonders of God. 3,000 people are converted. Praise God! And many of them awe, are in awe, declaring these wonders of God. And then, Acts chapter 2, verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they'd had too much wine. And what Paul is saying here is there's something about drunkenness and there is something about being filled with the Spirit that both are similar, yet are very, very different. Okay? But what does he mean? Well, when you're drunk on wine, what are you? You you are artificially inflated in courage and confidence and you would feel more joyful and brave than you probably ordinarily would feel and there are certain things that you will do and there are certain things you won't do that 
uh, you would do when you're drunk that you otherwise wouldn't do when you're not drunk. Uh, you're, you're under an influence. And it's actually very, very similar to being filled with the Spirit. Something has come into your life. It's filled, you, you've be, it's filled your life and has become an influence to the way that you behave. You're under its influence. And it gives you a certain measure of courage. It gives you a certain idea of joy. And, and they're things that you wouldn't have ordinarily if you weren't under the influence. You begin to do things you normally wouldn't do. And Paul says in verse 19 that as you are filled with the Spirit, you are speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the spirits. Spirit. Now, as Baptists, I think we shudder at the idea of this. <laughs> we like structure. We like things running to plan. And when you read about the crazy stuff in the Corinthian church, you think, oh no. <laughs> But I believe there's a balance, right? I'm not saying we all just speak in tongues and fall on the floor. There's, I don't think there's too many. There's not enough ambulances in Bustleton to handle that. Uh, but there's a balance. We hold to the authority and the truth of the Word of God, and at the same time, we let the wisdom and the Spirit of, of God speak through us and give us wisdom and discernment. So when we read speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, we don't shudder, but we embrace this new bravery with this new joy in the Spirit. There's a new confidence and courage that comes uh, into your life and begins to express itself in many different ways. But here's the difference, right, between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness makes you out of touch with reality, Right? By definition, drunkenness is a depressant. Oh, alcohol is a depressant. Drunkenness is the result. And so it takes away your sensitivity to what is around you. So you can end up being reckless. The spirit, on the other hand, has the effect of making you more in touch with reality. You have more clarity, a better ability to engage with the world. What makes you more brave? What makes you more courageous than you otherwise would be? That's why uh, verses 15 through to 17 says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, which is verse 15. Uh, in other words, it's the spirit that gives you a greater sense of wisdom or, or making the most of every opportunity, verse 16, where what that means is the spirit gives us this sense of urgency that we need to do something, that, that there's an intentionality where you're, you're actually more engaged in the world, more sensitized, more, more aware of what's going on around you. Or verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand that the Lord, what the Lord's will is. And what it means is the Spirit makes you more aware. You, you, you have a greater understanding. And that's what it gives you the ability to go through the world with confidence, with courage, with bravery, with joy, instead of recklessness. Uh, another part in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. Now there's a story about Elisha. And um, his servant, and they're there, and they're surrounded by an army. And in that particular moment, Elisha, what you'll see, is perfectly calm. <laughs> uh, he's reasonable, he, he's courageous, and he's at peace, and he's, he's, he's almost joyful, and there's an army around him. But then 2 Kings 6.15, when the servant Elisha got up and went out early the next morning... 
The servant is paralyzed by its fear. He goes, ah, there's an army. He sees this army, and, and, and he sees the horses and the chariots, and he's beginning to panic. It's like, what are we going to do? Now, in that moment, Elisha could have done one or two things. Number one, he said, could have said go up, let's just have a drink. There's nothing we can do. We're, we're going to die. Let's just desensitize ourselves. And when we've had enough, we're just going to go charge in and we're going to die. And hey, it be, won't be that bad. Or the second thing, which is what actually happens. Uh, Elijah prays that his servant's eyes will be opened. And, and by doing that, he's praying that he has a greater sense of the reality around him. And he says to his servant... This is what he says. He says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays and he says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the story goes on that the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The servant is able to see beyond the physical reality of the army that's coming. And he's able to see an entire spiritual battle, a heavenly battle that's being waged with God fighting for us. Something that's totally outside of our nature and understanding. It's a supernatural reality that the servant is now attuned to. And that's what gave him joy and calm and courage. He realised that, that God is real and he is fighting for him. That's the reality that he now sees and that's what gives him courage and peace. And that's what the Spirit does. It doesn't make you less in touch with reality, it makes you more in touch with the spiritual reality that, that is outside of what we can see. John 14 verse 26, Jesus Christ describes the work of the Spirit and he put it in this way, he says... This Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. John 16, 14. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. In other words, the Spirit will show you what I have done. And the Spirit will make what I have done more real in your heart, more real to you than it's ever been. And unlike alcohol that sort of deadens you to your sense of reality, the Holy Spirit makes you more attuned to it. It's a beauty, you see the beauty of what Jesus has done for you. So his truth becomes more real to your heart, he becomes more real to your mind, he becomes more real to anything around you. God's, God and the Spirit are more real to me than, than, than you. I mean, I can touch you, but not in a weird way. Um, but... But what that gives you is courage and joy of life in the spirit when you feel that spirit, tr spiritual truth. But it's not just presence. We see here also that it is, uh, there's the behaviours that, that the spirit gives us. And this passage gives us some very real and practical ways that we can understand what that is. Now, if you've ever read Ephesians before, what you'll see in the second half of the letter is what Paul describes as, I think, practical living in the, in the Christian life. The first three chapters are kind of setting it up, building the, uh, the deep understanding of the theology of how we got there and what God's done and what he did before creation. 
uh, he hits home all the good notes of predestination and uh, we were dead and what the cross has done. Uh, but then we get to this point of where it gets to gradual shifts in behaviour. And what does he talk about? He talks about a full change of identity. He goes from, he talks about how we were once orphans, but now we're adopted. He talks about what we are once in falsehood, but now we're in truth. And he talks about darkness to light, from old to new. And it's about living out that new reality. That's what changes your life. And there's a very strong contrast that is drawn in this passage. And it says, and it's from the beginning to the end, really, at their bookends. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, it says, There must not be even a, sense, a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or greed, nor should there be an obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And at the end, with the behaviours of a spiritual life, it says, He's speaking to one another with songs, hymns from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is saying that a life in the Spirit is one filled with overwhelming joy. <laughs> it's one of overflowing gratitude, where, where we don't simply believe the set of truths we agree with, but, but we have songs to sing. <laughs> There's music that comes from our hearts in light of what we believe. And that's what informs our life together. I mean, think about this. When was the last time something brought you so much joy that you sang about it? Now, if you're a kid, it probably happens a lot. Definitely does in my household. Now, if you're an adult, probably less so. If you're in Perth, rather than in Bustleton or Denmark, even less so. But what verses, sorry for the Perth people visiting, uh, verses 19 to 20 means is that there's a truth that we believe and it's not just a set of doctrines and it's not something we just happen to agree with, but, but it's a beauty to our hearts. It's, it's, it's what breaks us out into song. And here's what it looks like in our behaviour. Verse 4, Paul calls out obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. And, and it's not just so much because they are certain words and there are, there are not certain words you can say and can't say, but the speech is a window into our hearts, isn't it? What comes out of here is often a reflection of what's going on in here. And so our lives reflect whether we are bitter or thankful through our words, whether we are despairing or full of gratitude, whether, whether we're hopeless or hopeful, I mean, think about it. When we complain about house prices, the weather, um, I don't know, maybe you complain here about the Bustleton Airport and how it brings too many tourists. I don't know. Um, but do you know where that comes from, all that complaining? It comes from a heart that believes that the world should revolve around us and how it should function for our sake. It, it, that, 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 that population growth and tourism and the weather should revolve around us. Somehow we're entitled to a smooth life. Great weather, easy work. But that's not a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, is it? A heart of gratitude and thankfulness is one says, I'm not entitled to anything. 
I'm not in a privileged situation and it's by grace that I have been given everything. Complaining in our hearts really shows a fundamental lack of gratitude. It, it lacks fullness and joy. Or what about when Paul says, uh, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or greed? Well, when you think about sexual immorality and greed, what's happening there is you're essentially craving and hungering after money and relationships purely for your own benefit, right? We, that's why we do it. And, and in those moments, when, you, when you're hungering and addicted to that, you're not, you're not, you're not doing it out of gratefulness or thankfulness. You wouldn't be doing it if you were. And that's why Paul mentions the word idolatry in verse 5. What's idolatry again? It's when something becomes the centre of our lives that it wasn't designed to go there in the first place. Right? We crave it, we want it, we hunger after it, but it doesn't fill the hole <laughs> that uh, we hear so many people preach about, where it doesn't fill the hole that is designed for God to go there. And that's, when we do that, that's not a heart full of gratitude and joy. And Paul is sharing all of this as he imagines this spirit-filled humanity in tune with, a, with God. And yet, it is one that regardless of how easy or hard things are, it is one that is intensely joyful. And I think what Paul is hitting home here is that it's important for us to do a health check on our own individual hearts about this, for sure, but also we need to be doing a health check as an entire community, as a church. Busselton, Denmark, Perth, wherever you are worshipping regularly, how are you going? Because it's really our distinct, our attractive, our joyful living in the spirit that, that, that will light the match for the unchurched and the de-churched people and make them interested in Jesus. And now I'm not saying we're going to be perfect at it. I mean, that'll only happen when Christ returns. I remember a time when uh, it was late last year and Anna and the girls had to rush back to Perth. They were in a hurry. Uh, we went out to load the car and the tyre was flat. Now, the first words out of my wife's mouth were not, praise the Lord, flat tyre. <laughs> I've got some, now I can go and talk to the tyre people and hey, maybe God will give me an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Now, it wasn't swear words either, so don't, my wife is, you know, she, she's controlled. Because <laughs> in case your mind went there. But, but, but we're talking about a lifestyle in the spirit. Because aren't you more attracted to someone who is joyful in the spirit versus someone who is grumpy about life? Because one of the most attractive witnesses, I believe, is a joyful Christian going through a hard time. And, and that's what it means when he says we're to speak to another one, one another in hymns and psalms and songs of praise, songs of the spirit. Because in our speech... We have to think about that. We have to check ourselves and ask ourselves, are we singing to one another? Are we rejoicing? Are, are we demonstrating our gratitude? Are we giving thanks to one another? Are we speaking in ways that are righteous and true? 
And, and you, might need to, you might be praising God in, in incredibly joyful and positive situations, or it might be like Job in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 15, where it says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. But how do we become that? You might think it sounds great. Woohoo! Fill me with the Spirit. Woo! But, but, but how do we live in a way that sings and rejoices and makes music in our hearts to God? And that's our last point the song of the Spirit. There are two ways. First, we hear God singing over us, and then there is God singing with us. And these are quick, quite quick. Zephaniah 3, verse 17 says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, what do we typically, if you were to sing over something, what would you be singing over? It's things you cherish. It's whatever is deep and beautiful to us. That's what causes our hearts to erupt into song. And here Zephaniah is saying, there is a God who, in his love, will no longer rebuke. He will no longer correct or chastise, but he will rejoice over you with singing. He will sing over you. His joy is on you. We're we're a beauty to him. (laughs) He knows the depths of our sin, and yet he rejoices to sing over us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light, becomes a light. Now, how incredible is it that there is a God who, who, who sings over us in spite of who we are? And when you grasp that, doesn't it give you such joy? <laughs> And the second way to be filled with the Spirit is to hear God singing with us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Now, if you know that passage, uh, there's a footnote, and Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. And and even more interestingly, it's Jesus saying, in the assembly... I will sing your praises. So not only does Jesus sing to us, but he's actually singing with us and amongst us as well, which is a wonderful thing. Well, what what does that mean? Because it sounds a bit abstract. Well, I think when we sometimes sing as a church, we often find we feel more comfortable singing with lots of people, don't we? I don't know if you remember COVID, uh, whether or not you guys had lockdowns here, um, but I experienced it in Perth, and we had to live stream our church services, and there is five of us standing there singing. Now, I can tell you that sounded horrible. <laughs> like, it, it, was, it was just shocking. We sing much, more, we sing much better together than on our own. <laughs> and, and there are times when you're at church, and uh, I was standing next to Howard, and I think, wow, he's got a nice baritone voice. Oh, I think it's baritone anyway. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, he's lifting me up, you know, through his voice. I, I wish I could sing like that. Uh, you go, wow, voice is so powerful. And it's not like mine. 
But in those moments, I, I would like to hope that by standing next to someone that has better vocals than I, I kind of improve too. I lift. But, but in the same way, I think that that's kind of what we're seeing here. Right? Jesus is singing through us. God is singing through us. And as Jesus' public ministry and the cross, I think in many ways, is, is God rejoicing over us with singing, which I think is what Zephaniah is kind of hitting home. It's through the gospel that, that God fights for us, <laughs> that he delights in us, that, that in spite of our brokenness and sin, he loves to sing over us. There's a song we desperately need to hear. It's a song we desperately need to sing. Right? To sing, I'm in darkness. There is a God who brings me into the light. The Spirit gives us that song to sing. Jesus on the cross only heard silence from God. But, and that was so God could rejoice over us with song. That's what it means to be spirit-filled by the gospel truth. It becomes a song of our hearts. Now, my question to you is, do you hear it? Do you hear it individually? Do you hear it as a church? Because we need to think about that, don't we? As, as, as in this post-Christian world, how do we be distinctive? How to be attractive? How to be relevant? Because the closer I think we are to the Spirit in that, and we, we, we have that awareness, the more able we will be to seize opportunities, to have great conversations, to share the gospel, to to bring your BCF chair, sit on their verge and have a chat. It doesn't have to be leaps and bounds, but we've got to start somewhere. We've got to try and help them see the gospel, and that comes from distinct living. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for... Uh, sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We, 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 we can't fathom uh, that. Uh, our tiny minds uh, are certainly in awe. And I pray, Lord, that we will feel that truth, that we will know that in our being, in our fibre, that it would fill our bones, our skin, and that as we walk out uh, each day, that as we interact with different people, that we would uh, be, be on fire, uh, for you, Father, that we would help them, uh, that we would show uh, what it means and what, uh, what uh, they need, uh, because, Lord, anything in this life that isn't you will, uh, is dust and ashes. <laughs> uh, and we pray, Lord, that they would see that truth, turn to Jesus, uh, so that they can understand the immeasurable grace and your love for them. We uh, certainly pray for Bustleton Baptist. We thank you, Lord, for the great gift that it is to this community. Uh, and may uh, your word continue to challenge and drive us all to bring glory and honour to your name. Amen.